0: Well, good morning and welcome. Glad you're joining us on this uh, Independence Day weekend, as Jared said, and uh, we are thankful that we get to gather as a group of believers that we have the freedom to do that uh, where we live. And we don't take that for granted because we know that doesn't happen in the same capacity everywhere. And so as we look forward to Independence Day this week, we can do so uh, with Thanksgiving. And so whether you're joining us in the room or online, we wanna say welcome uh, to you, and we're glad that you're here with us. And so uh, this morning, We're going to be continuing in our Who Is This Man sermon series. And the title of our message today is Jesus Sees You. All right. So the title of the message today is Jesus Sees You. And we're going to be reading out of Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. If you want to go ahead and pull that up, you can follow along with us as well on the Uversion Bible app. We have all of our notes on there. Just click the more tab and you can follow with us. And I wanna to start today by telling a story and uh, tell a story about my daughter and uh, or just not really a story, more of just something that my daughter loves. My daughter, she's four years old. She's been in preschool for a couple of years. If you can picture, she's got this scraggly blonde hair. Uh, she wears these socks with beads on them and you can hear her walking down the hallway. And I, I love taking my uh, daughter to drop her off at school. And one of the reasons I love to be able to do that is number one, because we get to get rid of them for a little bit, right? Can I get an amen from any parents? You guys know it's true. Just kidding, I love my kids. But uh, when I drop my daughter off, I do so with just so much confidence, because my daughter has one of the best teachers. Like this, her teacher Miss Cherry. All right, is built to be a preschool teacher. I mean, she loves these students, and I can see that when I drop Nova off. Nova is always so excited to tell Miss Cherry about what we did this weekend, and I'm sure Miss Cherry loves to hear about it. Okay, but she makes pictures for, her and uh, Miss Cherry. When I've dropped her off before, she knows all the details about Nova. She knows her quirkiness, and she. She loves her. And as a parent, that makes me so happy to be able to drop my child off with someone that I know sees my daughter, that cares about her, that knows about her personality, that knows what she needs to learn, what she has learned, and cares for. And that's something that's valued. I think that that's something, if we think about it, we would all say we seek that in our own lives, right? We want to be seen. We want to be known. We want people who love us and care about us. And also, I would say that most of us would say, I would like to be a part of a community where I could be a part of that as well, where I could encourage other people and see them and know them and love them. And so I think the, the problem with that is, is so often in this world, people don't feel seen. I don't know if you've ever been there before. Maybe you don't feel seen where you're at in life right now. And the problem is is that we chase all of these different things that we think will help us to be known, will help us to be loved, that people will know us, care for us, but we often chase after the wrong things. But Jesus so clearly lays out in scripture that he sees each one of us and he paints a picture of how he cares for us. And we're going to read about that today in Mark chapter 7. And I want to tell you a little bit about what's going on in the book of Mark here. We've been in it for a while, but uh, just to refresh and get some details in our mind. The book of Mark is a gospel book talking about the life of Jesus. All right, And the gospel book of Mark is known as the gospel of a. John Mark was a coworker of the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul, these leaders in the early church. And so in his writing, he is going through and he's just laying out the details of Jesus' life. And he does so in a very immediate fashion. Actually, I want to challenge you, the next time you're reading through the book of Mark, look how often you see the word immediately. It's known as the gospel of immediacy. And Mark is going from one event to the next event to the next event. I mean, just in the first seven chapters of this book, there have been so many things that have been covered. And what we see that in this time, all right, So as we get up to Mark chapter 7, what we see is that um, really Jesus can't even openly enter into towns anymore. His, the crowds that are following him. It says in somewhere, some places in Scripture in the Gospels that crowds would throng about him, right? There are huge and massive crowds following, so much so that, you know, Pastor Eddie talked about feeding of the 5,000 a couple of weeks ago. Jesus is often trying to withdraw just to have some time with the Father, and people are flocking to him, and crowds are coming. Why? Because they're asking the question who is this man? Who is this man? And he was doing powerful works and miracles, and we're going to look at one of those today. So if you'll read along with me, Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37, this is what it says. It says, then he returned, being Jesus, from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him and taking him aside from the crowd privately he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting touched his tongue and looking up to heaven he sighed and said to him ephatha that is be opened And his ears were open, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, can I tell you, I have a confession to you. Most of the time, whenever I'm speaking, I'm in a passage. I'm like, this is my favorite passage of Scripture right here. This is the best. I do that like every time. I'm like, I, I love it. And I love uh, looking at Scripture. And, and when, when we get into it, I'm like, man, this is so exciting. But I love this story. The more I've learned about this story, the more I've studied it, the more I've, I've just kind of looked at this passage, prayed through it and thought about it. I'm like, man, this is one of my favorite stories of Jesus in all of scripture because I believe it so evidently shows the way that Jesus sees you and the way that Jesus sees me. And so as we kind of break through, uh, break down the passage and look through it, as it starts off, Jesus is entering back into a region he's already been before. So if you've read, we've talked about this a few weeks ago, but in Mark chapter 6, Jesus heals the garrison demoniac in Mark chapter 6. And this is in the same region that Jesus has returned to in Mark chapter 7. So Jesus heals this garrison demoniac. It's very likely that he immediately began to go and proclaim claim what Jesus has done to this region of ten cities, okay? That's what's going on here. So Jesus is already known. And we've talked about the crowds that are following after him and the the masses of people that are coming. And so in this story, this is where Jesus is. There's people flocking to him. And what does it say? It says a group of people brought to him a man who was deaf and who had a speech impediment. And the question I ask myself is, who were the people who brought this man And the reality is, is that we can't know for certain who these people who brought this man to Jesus were. Were they friends, potentially? Family, people who cared about him? Or were they people that just knew that Jesus was working miracles and they just wanted to see what was going to happen and they found him as a subject? We don't know, but we know this man was brought to Jesus and they asked him to lay hands upon this man. But Jesus doesn't do this. What does Jesus do? Instead, privately, he takes him aside. I want to read verses 33 through 35 again with you because this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he puts his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, why did Jesus, when these people came and asked him to lay, hands on, to lay his hand on this man, why did he take him aside privately? And now the late Timothy Keller asserts that if you look at the healings of Jesus, if you look at every instance of healing, Jesus is always tailoring it to the needs and the heart of the situation that is going on. Elsewhere in the Gospels, we see that a woman just reaches out and touches Jesus' garment, and she is healed. In the, in, earlier in this, in chapter 7, there's a mother whose daughter is afflicted, right? And Jesus doesn't even ever see the daughter. He just heals her from a distance. So we see that Jesus doesn't have to take anyone aside privately. He doesn't have to touch this man, but why did he do it? Why did Jesus take him aside privately? To heal him. I believe it's because Jesus saw him. You think about this man, right? Deaf, couldn't speak well. I bet so often in his life, you think about the time and the season which Jesus was doing his earthly ministry, how hard it would have been for someone in that situation to communicate with others. And I picture this man and I wonder if for his whole life he had been trying to get words out only to not be able to have anyone understand him. And who knows, maybe people didn't take the time to really try and communicate with him. I just think about this man and what he had went through and what he had been through. And I wonder if he felt just, man, no one can communicate with me. Nobody knows me. Nobody sees me. I can't get the words that I'm saying out. I can't communicate with others. I believe Jesus saw this man and he pulls him aside privately. And what does he do? Why does he? Put his fingers into his ears, you know? Why does he spin, touch his tongue? I believe Jesus was signing to this man, right? I believe Jesus was signing to this man and preparing him for what he was about to do. Touching his ears, letting him know you're going to be able to hear. Touching the tongue and letting him know it's going to be loosened. Because he saw this man where he was at. And in the same way that Jesus sees this man, he also sees you individually, loves you and cares for you individually. And you might be in here and you might be thinking, well, I've never been physically healed in the same way that this man was. Well, I, one of the things I would say is every day that we wake up and our physical body is still working and functioning, that is because of the grace of God, right? And the work of Jesus Christ. And so that is something right there that just in that we have to be thankful for. But if we also look at what has Jesus done, if you are following Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you've asked for forgiveness of your sins and you've entered into a relationship with him, when you walk with Jesus, he healed you spiritually. He took you from spiritual death to spiritual life. And you know how I know that he sees you? is because you have a story. You know, in the church world, we call this, you have a testimony, right? That if we took and polled this crowd, that's one of my favorite things about being in church is getting to see the stories of people from multiple generations, from all walks of life. And guess what? They all have the same story, but a different story. That there was a savior who came and saved them from their sins. For some people, they, they were freed from alcohol addiction. For others, they were freed from pride. And others, they found Jesus at a young age with their parents They all, we all have a story. I have a story and you have a story. And do you know why? It's because Jesus sees you. And so often in our society, what we see, we see is like cookie cutter solutions for things. Do this and you'll be better. Do this and you'll make money. Here's the formula, here's what happens. And Jesus doesn't come and he doesn't give a one size fits all. He gives a one size fits all answer, but everybody's story is different and your story is different than my story, but together our stories point point towards the same savior. You know why? Because Jesus sees you. There's power in telling your story. I think one of the biggest lies of the enemy is to make you think your story's not that special. You don't need to tell your story. Other people don't care about it. You're not gonna be able to tell it well, but when you tell your story, of who you were before Jesus and how he has come into your life and changed it, that has power. And you're supposed to share your story. As the church, do you know what we do is we don't just stay here, we go and we mobilize and we tell our stories. Why? Because Jesus saw us. Jesus even saw us at our worst and he chose to do a work in our lives. I just would love to, you know, one of my one of the things I think about is like, man, I wanna meet this guy in heaven. And to get his side of the story to see like, hey, when Jesus pulled you aside, how did that make you feel? How did that make you feel? Not only does Jesus see you, but in this passage we also are taught how we are to see other people. You know, when you're following Jesus and you're walking with him as we learn about his life, we're also learning about how do we interact with people here as believers? In the same way that Jesus sees you, you are to see other people. Jesus teaches us how to see others. In this passage, what do I mean by that? What do we mean by that? You know, uh, back in 1952, there was a reverend by the name of Everett Swanson. In 1952, he traveled to Korea to visit American troops who were fighting in the Korean War. And this reverend Everett Swanson, he travels from Chicago all the way to Korea. And what happens is as he's there is he notices something. is as he's supposed to be ministering to these American soldiers, he notices that there's orphans on the street. No food, no clothing, no parents, no one to care for them. And it just so bothered him to his core that he knew that he had to do something about it. He saw, the, he saw others the way that Jesus sees others. He saw saw these, these young children the way that Jesus would see them with compassion and with a heart to help them. And so as he traveled back to the United States, he founded an organization, what we would now know as Compassion International. It's very likely you've heard of the work that Compassion International does. And actually in 2020, they just registered their two millionth child to be sponsored. Two million children from the work of reverend everett swanson in 1952 have now had needs physical needs met and cared for and a spiritual hope and truth shared with them why because reverend everett swanson saw others the way that jesus sees people and he's helping people to and he helped people to understand that jesus sees you personally that's the work of jesus And as we look at this story, not only does it show us how this man was healed, but it also teaches us how Jesus sees us and how we are to see others. You know, our vertical relationship with Christ, our vertical relationship with Christ should always push us outwards towards others. To care for them, to love them, to show them compassion. And you know what I'm thankful for? Is that much of the great things in the world of care and compassion and kindness have been done in the name of Jesus. Because the church has mobilized and engaged, there are so many needs that are met every day around the world. That if you took the church away, it would make a huge impact. And I would say that's the same for the work that High Street Church does here. Not only right here in Springfield with things like power packs and One Soul Purpose, but the fact that our church has been blessed enough and has the privilege to support 160 missionaries and mission projects around the world because we are saying, hey, we care about other people. We know what Jesus has done for us. We have a vertical relationship with him and it's pushed us outwardly, horizontally to show others the love of Christ. And my prayer is that since 1936, this is the work that High Street Church has been doing. And my prayer is that it will continue on and on and on. Why? Because Jesus has changed our lives and we have a story to tell. You have a story to tell. Our vertical relationship with Jesus should always point us outwardly. In verse 34, I don't know if you noticed this on the reading, it says, in looking up to heaven, he sighed. And he said to him, "Ephetha, that is be open. Do you ask yourself the question, you know I did whenever I read it, why did Jesus sigh? Was it a trouble to Jesus to heal this man? Did he not want to? Was it a burden? No. This sigh from Jesus is such an important thing because the sighing of our savior reveals the deity of Jesus. It reveals the deity of Jesus, that he was the Messiah, that he was Christ, that he was God incarnate, right? God took on flesh in the form of his son to come and serve us. And so here we see Jesus, and I believe this sigh is very similar to him in the garden of Gethsemane, where he is asking, as he's sweating drops of blood, and he asks the father, remove this cup from me if it's possible. Remove it from me if it's possible, but not your will done, but but not my will be done, but yours. You see, Jesus, fully God and fully man, he knew the realities of heaven, a place where there's no weeping, no hurting, no pain. He knew the way earth was intended to be, but yet he's here in his earthly ministry, and he's in the brokenness. He's in the sin with us in sighing. I believe we see the deity of Jesus in this sigh. And the care that he had, recognizing that this was not the way it was supposed to be. As he sighed and recognizes he's going to be going to a cross to take on the most gruesome, not only physical death, but the most gruesome in terms of spiritually that he would be separated from the Father as he took on the weight of sin, past, present, and future. And Jesus sighs as he knows he's the, the mission that he's on. He doesn't sigh because he doesn't want to heal this man. He sighs Because he knows and understands the mission that he's on. Can I tell you something? As you go and you be the hands and feet of Jesus with other people, do you know that you will step into this darkness at times to be the light where the darkness is? And there is a weight to that. As you are all called to full-time ministry, myself included, in all of our different spheres of influence, areas, and where God has placed us, there will be times that as believers, we are being the light in a dark place and it is heavy. But what we cannot do is we cannot shy away from that because we have to recognize and understand that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Philippians 2.13 says, God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him, the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So my challenge to you, if you feel beat down, you're tired of doing the work of ministry and preparing to teach as some of you do or to go or to invest in your family and friends, just understand that there's a sighing savior who's with you. And there's a day coming when the pains of this world will be no more. When we will be in heaven with Jesus, where there's no weeping, no hurting, and no pain. You know, when Jesus says, be opened right here, many biblical scholars agree in verse 34 that as he says, be open, the word, the Greek word that Mark chooses to use here, many scholars agree that this is pointing us back to Isaiah chapter 35, verses five and six in the Old Testament. They think that Mark was very intentionally pointing us back to a prophecy about the coming of Messiah written 700 years by the prophet Isaiah before Jesus is on earth. And this is what Isaiah 35, five and six reads. It says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The Bible is often under attack that it's not reliable and that it's archaic and you know, that it's just this made up and, and, and Jesus wasn't really the son of God. But when you, the more, my challenge to you is this, if you find yourself in that camp, the more you study scripture, the more you see, just like in Isaiah 35, written 700 years before Jesus is on the scene, and Jesus comes and he fulfills that prophecy, you can't make that up. The Bible, 66 books written over the course of hundreds and hundreds of years, we see that it's one congruent story, that even though there's sin in this world, that God's master plan all along has been our restoration and our redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. That has been his rescue plan and it will continue to be the rescue plan. You know, sometimes, I don't know if you're with me in this, but we can grow used to the gospel. You can grow used to what Jesus has done. And, and, and I, I often, you know, want those times and those, those seasons where I really recognize the gravity of it. You know, when I was nine years old, that's part of my story, I recognized what Jesus had done on the cross for me. And I remember sitting at Hamlin Baptist Church over on the north side of Springfield on, as nine years old, at nine years old on Easter Sunday, recognizing my need for a savior and what Jesus had done for me and what God had chosen to do in sending his son for me. And you know, as I've gotten older, I have times where I remember that and I understand that. But every once in a while, we have these moments that the gospel just hits us and you know for me this week um my son got sick on and before I tell this story he's doing fine now he's back in he's back in kid street and he's already eating a donut and fruit snacks and everything else this morning so he's doing fine trust me but my son was very sick this week it's the sickest I've ever seen him and he went almost 48 hours could not keep any food down or fluid down and I I I remember picking up my son cash and I just picked him up and he's so white and He's just limp. And those of you who have children, you know, or you've cared for someone, it's tough to watch a child in a situation like that. And I watched as, you know, just, I hated that for him. That was the last thing that I wanted for my son was to see him like that. And we took him to the hospital. They order him IV, one IV doesn't work. They can't get it in. The second IV fails. And I just look at my boy lying there on the bed and I'm like, just desperate. I have nowhere else to turn to other than to cry out and to ask God for help. That's it, you know, and he's doing great now, but I thought about it yesterday, actually. And as I was in that hospital room, I looked up and I I didn't really think about it at the moment, but on the wall, and as they do in all of the rooms at uh, this hospital, they have a cross hanging and Jesus is on that cross as it overlooks the bed. And I thought about it yesterday and I was like, man, Watching my son like that, I would have never willingly subjected him to suffering like that. And I don't mean to be overdramatic or anything, but I just don't want that for my children. In the same way, you don't want that for the people that you love and care about it. I would have never willingly subjected my son to that. And I thought about it. And I thought about that picture of Jesus on the cross. God willingly sent his son to suffer far beyond anything we could imagine and the weight of sin that he took on on the cross. Why would God do that? Why would God do something so radical? Because he sees you. He loves you. Individually, personally, you have the opportunity to have a relationship with Jesus. That's how much he loves us. My challenge to you is this is, if you've never said yes to following Jesus, scripture makes it very clear. You admit that you're a sinner. You believe that God did send Jesus to die on a cross for our sins and you confess him as Lord of your life. Confess him. That means turning over the authority of your life to him. If you've never done that, I wanna invite you to do that today. As we're about to finish with communion and a time of prayer, I wanna challenge you to do that this morning if you've never done that before. You know, why do we have communion? Why do we, we partake in this physical act, kind of this kinesthetic thing that God has, or uh, that Jesus left for the church, one of the ordinances that he left? Why do we do that? I think I, I've come to love this act because it's so different than what I do throughout the week where we take a moment and we eat of bread and drink of a cup to remind us Of the Savior. You know, this this bread here represents the broken body of Christ on the cross. And the drink represents the blood that Jesus spilled for us on the cross. And so we enter into this time where we can have communion to remember what Jesus has done, but not only to remember, but to examine our own lives that once again, we have this opportunity as we gather as a body to examine our own hearts and to recognize, God, where do I have sin in my life? This would be the time where you examine and you say, do I even have a relationship with you? And God has given us this ordinance with strong wording. He wants this to be for people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so once again, I plead plead with you, beg with you, urge you, if you've not made that decision, you need to. And it's a moment for us who are already following Christ It's an opportunity for us to examine our own lives. And then what do we do? Corporately together, we're able to proclaim the gospel message of Jesus once again and what he's done on the cross for you and for me. And publicly, we declare that and proclaim it. Before we do that, I just wanna take a moment to pray for us and I'd ask you to bow your heads now. And I wanna ask, I never wanna assume in a room this size, but those of you who are watching online, I wanna ask you this question. Have you ever put your faith in Jesus? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? If you would say today, I want to call on the name of the Lord and be saved, would you put your hand in the air so that we can pray with you and celebrate you? Just slip that hand up. I need you, Jesus, I need you. I wanna pray for you and I'd ask you to pray uh, just this prayer to yourself privately where you are. God, I recognize that I'm a sinner. But I know that you see me and I understand what you've done for me on the cross. I want a relationship with you. I want to make you Lord of my life. It's in your name we pray.